This morning it's our seventh week, seventh week in the study of the book of uh, Philippians. So that's what we're doing. If you're a visitor, we're going through the book of Philippians, sort of verse by verse almost. And if you've been with us uh, for any of the past six weeks, you know that this letter, this, this book of Philippians, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, you know that it has some deep and, and really theological teachings and instruction for the church. It's filled with powerful instructions for growing in and for living the Christian life. Like, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Just talking about how, how God works in and, and through us and he will complete us, he will sanctify us. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wrestling with, with the fact that he really wants to be with the Lord, but it's better for him to stay and minister here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We're going to talk more about that today. Have this, and then have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. And then he goes on to give us the great, powerful example of the humility of Christ who humbled himself, becoming one of us, becoming a servant, dying for our sins, and then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not working for your salvation, but working because you're saved. These are just a few examples of what we've read so far in chapters 1 and 2. Some of the the teachings, and and there's more to come. In chapters 3 and 4, it's going to get, in my opinion, in my view, even more deeper. More deeper? Is that a word? Even deeper. And and more powerfulest. More powerful. (laughs) we'll find what I believe are some of the greatest applications and instructions in all of Scripture. But our passage for today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 to 30, it's kind of a, a long passage, right in the middle of the letter, is different. At first reading, it might feel a bit out of place even. The Apostle Paul, instead of continuing to write about these deep theological issues, he seems to take a break to write some very immediate, practical, and personal concerns. What we see in Philippians 2, 17-30, is Paul writing about himself, his co-workers, and their travel plans. It's kind of a, a, a what, are, what are we going to be about? Where are we going? What are we doing? We find this kind of practical information actually throughout Paul's letters. He often gives specific information about people. He talks about when he's coming, when he plans to visit a particular church. And this is important because it helps us to put these letters that Paul's written in uh, a historical context. It speaks to the letter's authenticity. It was written in time by this guy. It speaks to the specific time and a specific group of people and, and the specific reasons he's writing at that time. But the problem is, the the little problem is, uh, these immediate, practical, specific reasons for writing the letter aren't really applicable to us, right? We aren't the church in Philippi. And Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, that's who we're going to talk about today, aren't planning to visit us. So why don't we just skip over this part, this practical part, and move on to chapter 3, which is uh, awesome. Well, because this is awesome too, in a different way. These words, like the rest of the letter, are the words of God written to us. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
They weren't written just for the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago. They were written for us today. God in his wisdom not only inspired Paul to pen practical and personal things that could authenticate this letter to future generations, to us, but in the midst of this practical, we also find some very powerful examples. Scripture is filled not only with deep theological instructions, but also with examples. Examples of those who apply those deep theological instructions. Sometimes they're good examples, sometimes they're bad examples. Sometimes we have examples, this is not how you want to do it. Uh, Judas comes to mind, that's not how you want to do it. But most of the time, especially in the New Testament, we get a lot of really great examples. Examples of those who obey and apply, apply and obey the Word of God. Because God knows we need examples to follow, right? People who've gone before us, people who show us the way. Many times the best way to learn how to do something is to see how someone else does it. For example, example, get it? We're doing example. Anyway. Uh, as some of you might know, I'm not a mechanic, right? Okay, understatement there. But there are some things, not a lot of things, but some things I can do to fix and to maintain a, a vehicle, a car. I can change a tire. I can change, I can change oil. I can change filters, oil filters and air filters and all that. I can even change brake pads. Impressive, eh? And until the computers took over the cars, I could do uh, like a tune-up, do the points and the plugs. Some of you guys don't even know what those are. That's sad. And every one of these things I learned from watching my dad or my father-in-law. i got to give him a little credit, too. I, I watched them do them. They were my examples. And in the same way we need examples of how to do physical tasks here in our lives, we also need examples of how to live biblical lives, how to live out what what Scripture is teaching. Now, our greatest example, the one we looked at in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is Jesus Christ himself. He provides an awesome example, the the perfect example. But God, in his word and his wisdom, has given us other examples as well. And today we're going to look at at three men who exemplify their examples of what Paul has been teaching. He's given uh, a lot of teaching so far. He goes to the practical, but he does it in such a way that we have examples of what he's been teaching. In chapter 1, verse 27, this is a key verse if you haven't got that so far in our study, uh, Paul instructs, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Let how you live Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be worthy of what Christ has done for you. And over the past several weeks, we've, I hope, we've learned what that means. I think we've repeated it a number of times. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ means that we live in unity and humility for the sake of the gospel. That in unity we stand together, we stand firm, striving and suffering and fighting Together for the gospel to go forth. And in humility, we follow the example of Christ, who considered others better than himself. And finally, what we saw last week is we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work hard. We do good works. Not so we earn our salvation, 
but because we've received salvation as a free gift. In our Bible study this uh, past Wednesday, we, we read around the passage we're going to do, and so we were reading around, and, and it happened to fall to my lovely wife to read that verse from uh, Philippians. I have my phone here. From Philippians. I thought I had this set up, sorry. Uh, from Philippians 2, uh, chapter 12. I mean, from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And, and she had a different version. And so I want to read to you her version, which was the New Living Translation, right? That's what it's called. Uh, of what, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because I think it's, it's good. It says in, in uh, the NLT, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about working out your salvation, when we're talking about living in a manner worthy of the gospel. We work hard. So Paul's taught what it means to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And now in chapter 2, verses 17 to 30, he gives three examples of men who are living it out. And we should look closely at these three examples because he tells us to. In chapter 3, verse 17, we'll come to that in a couple weeks, Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes. Keep your eyes, gaze intently, keep focused on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And the us he's talking about are the guys we're going to look out today. These examples of Paul and others living for the gospel are giving, given to us that we might imitate them, that we might follow after them, that we might do as they did. So this morning, we need to pay close attention to what Paul writes about the lives of those who lived for the gospel. And what Paul does is he begins with himself. He sort of unashamedly says, I'm an example to follow, the example of Paul. Now, we find uh, throughout the New Testament examples of Paul's life and ministry. find it in many places. We find it in the book of Acts. We saw some of those when we were studying through the book of Acts. And throughout Paul's letters. We've already seen, in chapter, if you're with us, in chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul uh, uses himself as an example of one whose priority is the advancement of the gospel no matter what. No matter, no, come what may suffering, imprisonment, I'm going to advance the gospel. And in chapter 3, we'll see him again use himself as an example of one who, whose first priority, number one priority, is to seek to know Christ above all other things. So we could do a whole series of sermons on the Apostle Paul as an example to follow, maybe someday. But for now, we're going to limit ourselves to the examples found in verses 17 and 18. Just two verses here talking about Paul. And he writes this, uh, verse 17. Even if I, Paul, is, is there something going on here that I don't know about? Is, is it in here or is it out there? That's what, I hope it's out there, otherwise we're in trouble. Anyway, ignore that and focus here. Uh, even if I, Paul, am, and to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Okay, maybe we need to unpack that a little bit. A drink offering it, it involved 
pouring out wine either onto the ground or onto an altar. The drink offering would be poured out on top of another sacrifice. There was a sacrifice being made, an animal sacrifice or a grain offering. And to add to that, to show the uh, greater importance of that, they would also pour a drink offering on it. And so, and notice that Paul is being poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, he says. The picture is Paul giving his life, being poured out. This is a sacrifice to establish the faith of the Philippians and others. Remember where Paul is when he's writing this letter. He's in jail, prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, for trying to establish the faith of peoples. And because of that, he may be executed. He may be sacrificed. He may be fully poured out. That's the the illustration he's giving. And what is his response to this possibility of being poured out? Check this out. It's really amazing if you think about it. I'm I'm, I'm thinking uh, it's possible even if I have to die for the gospel is basically what he's saying. Even if I die to establish the faith of others, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's excited. He's joyful about this. Paul's response to being poured out, to giving his life as a sacrifice for the faith of others is joy. He's glad He rejoices in the possibility of his own sacrifice, his own death for the sake of the gospel, and he wants the Philippians to rejoice along with him. Don't be bummed if I have to die. Paul is an example of a life lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ, a life dedicated to seeing the gospel go forth, a life that, as he he, uh, taught already, a life that stood firm, a life that was striving and suffering and fighting for the gospel. And if that life ends, if it ends in his death, his execution, his being poured out, then rejoice. It was a life well lived, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul, again, he's an amazing example of having the right priorities. What are your priorities? Having the right perspective on this earthly life. It's passing. The life, he believes life is to be lived as a sacrifice to the Lord. He writes specifically that in, in, to the church at Rome. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be poured out yourself, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's not just Paul that's to be poured out. We're all believers are to be poured out. Present ourselves as a sacrifice to God. Your bodies, my bodies, our lives are to be a living sacrifice to the Lord, pouring out for His service. Christ gave His life for you. Now Paul and the Philippians and you and I must give our lives to Him as a sacrifice. That's what we sing about. We're counting up the cost. That's the cost. It's it's very simple. Uh, Simple to write because it's Everything. It's all of you. It's your life. That's the cost. Giving yourself completely to Christ. And yes, He's worth it. And if God chooses 
that we be poured out as a drink offering, so be it. And if we give our lives to see the gospel go forth, then rejoice in a life well lived, a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is, is this powerful example of living for the gospel, of sacrificing for the gospel. And we, all of us, are called to imitate his example. And the question I have for you, the question I have for me is this. What, if anything, are you sacrificing for the gospel? And by the gospel, I mean by uh, taking the gospel to others, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, letting people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and why it's important and why it's important for them. What, what, if anything, are we giving so that the, the faith of others might be established? That's why Paul is being poured out as a drink offering, that the faith of others might be established. What are we pouring out? What are we willing to give up so that others might know the good news that Jesus Christ gave his life for them? And that they, if they trust in him, can receive eternal life. What are you willing to sacrifice that others might have Jesus? I would encourage you maybe to write that down. First page of your Bible. What am I willing to sacrifice that others might have Jesus? to think about it, to pray about it, to put some things down. Lord, how can I be more like the Apostle Paul in this? What can I pour out of my life, my time, my finances, my abilities I have, my reputation? What can I pour out that others might know Jesus? So so that's Paul's example. He's his example of himself as one who lived for the gospel, as one who lived in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, who poured out himself to establish the faith of others. And then he turns to Timothy, the example of Timothy. Before we get to what Paul writes about Timothy, we need a little background. We need to understand this guy, Timothy. Timothy was well known to the church in Philippi. He had joined Paul's missionary band, missionary team, just before they they went to Philippi, just before they planted the church. That first time we read about in Acts chapter 16, Timothy was there with him. So the Philippians were very special to Timothy. It was sort of his first outreach event. Maybe think about the first time you ever shared the gospel, if if you have. The first time you ever went out and told people about Jesus. This is Timothy's big thing, the, the, the church in Philippi. So Timothy, they're special to him and he's special to them. He was, he was with you, Paul, uh, down by the river when you shared with Lydia. He was with you, Paul, when you uh, talked to the Philippian jailer. And Paul writes in verse 19, chapter 2, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. This is the practical information we talked about. Apparently, Paul's, uh, Paul planned to send Timothy to, to, the, to the church in Philippi for a time. And then Philippi, not Philippi, I don't know who that is. Then Timothy would return and give a report of how the church was doing. Paul wanted to know, how are you guys doing? And so he's going to send Timothy. Paul goes on to explain why he's sending Timothy. And this is where we see the example that Timothy can provide for us. Verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy cares about the Philippians like no one else. And it's not just because he helped plant the church. It's not because he knows them. It's because of the kind of man he is. 
We see it clearly in verse 21. For they, they, other people, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The implication here is Timothy seeks the interests of Jesus Christ, not his own interests. Apparently, Paul had other companions, other people working with him that, that had not reached the level of maturity of Timothy. They were with Paul. They might have even been doing ministry with Paul, but they were doing it for their own interests, not for the interests of Jesus Christ. This is a, a little bit scary to me, if you think about it. It, it serves, I, I hope, as a warning to us. There can be people who are involved in ministry, pastors even, missionaries even, who are in it for themselves, their own personal gain. To be seen by men, to be thought of as, as special. I, I personally have to fight with those kind of temptations. Anytime you uh, do anything public, you have to fight those kind of temptations. This is not about me. And so Paul is saying, Timothy is, is beyond that. He's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about the interests of Jesus. So I say to myself and you, be careful. Be careful that when you are doing, when you are working out your salvation, when you're doing the good works, the things for the Lord, you're serving the Lord, you're in ministry, the things of the Lord are your interests, not your own interests. We need to instead follow Timothy's example. And his example is one of of humility. Timothy, unlike all the others, was seeking after the interests of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was his first priority. And what are the interests of Jesus Christ? The interests of Jesus are that we follow his example and look out for the interests of others. So you get that? When Jesus is our first priority, others become our second priority. That's what Timothy did. He's an example of what Paul had described earlier in in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Timothy's an example of of true Christ-like humility, of looking out for the interests of others. Paul continues, verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. The Philippians knew Timothy. They knew he lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. They had seen him in action. And what did that look like? What did that look like, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Paul continues, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul and Timothy had this father-son relationship. We could talk more about Timothy and how he came to Christ, through his, and, but we, we don't have time this morning. But they, they had developed this father-son sort of relationship. Paul was his mentor, his disciple, or his father. They loved one another. They cared for one another. They were united in Christ. He wasn't his biological father, just so we're clear. Spiritual father. They loved one another. They served together in the gospel. This takes us again back to chapter 1, verse 27, really the, 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 the heartbeat here. When Paul describes what living in a manner worthy of the gospel looks like, it looks like Paul and Timothy, united, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Timothy, along with Paul, 
are examples of those who in unity and humility serve to advance the gospel. That's what they did. And the question for us is this. Are we together following Timothy and Paul's example? Are we in unity and humility serving, seeking to serve in the gospel? Seeking to see the gospel go forth. Seeking to see other people come to know Jesus Christ. And for us here at, at Bridges, what, is that, what might that look like practically? It may look like di- very different in each of our lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, the people we encounter. And for us as individuals, are we seeking uh, to serve the gospel, to let people know? But what does it look like for us as a church, coming together to reach out in our world, in our city, in our neighborhood? Well, this month, October, it looks like us us coming together and putting on a trunk or treat that we might be able to engage with this neighborhood. Maybe in November, it looks like our home fellowships groups uh, doing some kind of outreach event in the neighborhoods where they meet, coming together in that way. Maybe in December, it looks like us, us together inviting people to our Advent uh, services, probably more evangelistic, more... more uh, non-Christian friendly, let me say, services, or to our holiday dinner. Maybe in January and beyond, it looks like us as a congregation venturing out into the, into the neighborhoods around us, surrounding homes, apartment complexes, and schools, seeing where we can meet needs, seeing where we can engage our community, being lights that shine in a dark world, serving in unity and humility, for the gospel. These are just some possible practical examples for us. I don't know everything that serving the gospel looks like, but I knew, do know this. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like just coming together every Sunday morning and then going home and coming to church Sunday morning and going home. That's not what it looks like. That's great. I, 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 wish, I wish more people would come to church. There's a lot of empty seats. Here. I, I want that. I want us to come together and, and, and rally together and worship together and be encouraged by one another on Sunday mornings. We've set that aside. But it's more than that. The examples of Paul and Timothy provide are examples not of once a week coming together, but of lives dedicated to serving the gospel. Lives dedicated to serving the interests of Jesus Christ, whatever those might be. Well, we know what those are. Those are serving the interests of others. Those are proclaiming the gospel. Those are getting people to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That's what we're called to imitate. Paul ends this section about Timothy with some practical info for the church. He says to the Philippian church, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul knows that Timothy, he'll provide a great example. He'll be able to give Paul a report. He'll be able to help the church. He's an example of humility, an example of one that serves the gospel, and so he's going to send them to the church in Philippi. But he's waiting. He's waiting to find out whether he'll be released from prison or executed. Until then, he, Paul, he says, I need Timothy, my son. I need him with me. I need his loving support. 
And if Paul is released, he says, I'm going to come and visit you as well. I'm going to provide another example for you, another person to imitate. Eventually, yes. He may not make it. Yeah, we don't know if he makes it. That's all right. That's all right. Now, when Paul wrote this letter uh, to the, to, from prison, so he's in prison. He doesn't know if it's the Roman prison. Uh, I'm not sure if he gets out. Uh, he knew that it would be, he knew it'd be a while before he or Timothy would come to Philippi. But he's going to send this letter with another guy, a guy named, it's a little harder to say than Paul and Timothy. I don't know, why, why, why don't we name our kids Epaphroditus? You know, we got a lot of Pauls, we got a lot of Timothys, but no Epaphroditus is. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> and like himself and Timothy, Epaphroditus will be a great example. So the example of Epaphroditus. A little background on, I should have thought of a cute name for him, so I don't have to say Epaphroditus every time. But anyway, he was, he was from Philippi, okay? So he was probably a converted sometime, maybe in, the, in that first time, because, you know, we know of Lydia, the Philippian jailer, but they were there for a long time. He's probably converted right there in that first church planning time in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And later, so Paul plants the church, and later Paul takes off in his other places, and the church in Philippi sends Epaphroditus with a, a gift for Paul, a financial gift for Paul, a gift that would help support his ministry. Epaphroditus then stayed and, and worked alongside Paul. So he's, he's a, a Philippian, and he goes out, and he hangs with Paul, and he ministers with Paul for a time. And then Paul is placed under arrest, and he's put in prison. He writes the letter to the church in Philippi, and uh, natural choice, he gives it to Epaphroditus to deliver. Paul writes in verse 25 about this guy. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Paul clearly thought Epaphroditus was a, a great guy. He loved and admired him. And he sends him to, to, to Philippi as an example of many things. He, he here, just in this, this quick uh, uh, note, he extols the, his many virtues of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is Paul's brother. They shared the same spiritual father. They were brothers in Christ. This speaks to their unity, uh, their deep love for one another, their relationship they had. Epaphroditus is Paul's fellow worker. They share the same vision and goals. Together, Epaphroditus and Paul and, and Timothy worked to see the gospel go forth. That's what, that was what their work was. He was his fellow worker. They were united in purpose. And their purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their purpose was to make disciples. To go and make disciples. Epaphroditus is Paul's fellow soldier. That's sort of up in, up in, up, up in it. Upping it a notch, or upping the ante, thanks Jeff, a, a little bit. Jeff's been a soldier, so he knows it's a little different than being a worker. They not only worked together for the gospel, they fought together for the gospel. For Paul, Epaphroditus, for Timothy, proclaiming the gospel was a battle. It was war. They faced enemies. They had to stand firm. They had to strive together. They, like soldiers in times of war, risked their lives for the gospel. That's how important it was. 
Epaphroditus is also a messenger from the Philippians. He was, he was, he was the one that the church in Philippi appointed to deliver this gift to, to Paul. He's probably a, a pretty uh, solid guy. But he not only delivered the gift, he also, when he got there, he ministered to Paul. Probably, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, Timothy was younger than Paul. Younger guy, Epaphroditus, probably the same age or maybe even a little older than Paul. He was there, he had some gifts, and he could minister to Paul in his need. He became a true companion to the apostle, working and fighting alongside him and, and also caring for him. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we, do we want to? Are we thinking about following the example of Epaphroditus? Are we willing to be messengers And ministers, are we willing to be sent out by the church? They sent him out. Are we willing to be workers and soldiers for the gospel? Do we work and fight with other brothers and sisters in Christ to see the gospel go forth? Is that a priority in our life? Is that something we think about? Is that something we pray about? Is it important to us? I want to encourage each of us, because I think that's what Paul's doing, to be like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, to, to find our place in serving the gospel, to find our part in seeing the gospel proclaimed in our world. Paul, Paul clearly loved and valued Epaphroditus, but instead of holding on to him, Paul thought it necessary to send him to the Philippians. Why? Verse 26, in some more details here. For he has been longing for you all, for he's been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Paul sends Epaphroditus back to his home in, in Philippi for very practical reasons. Epaphroditus has become very ill. The Philippian believers heard of his illness, and they have become very concerned for him. And this causes Epaphroditus to be very concerned for them. So they're worried about him, and he's worried about them worrying about him. He didn't want them worrying about him, so when God, in his mercy for Epaphroditus and for Paul and for the Philippians, allowed him to recover his illness. So just a side note quickly here. Uh, it doesn't say that Paul, Paul did a lot of healing, but it doesn't say that Paul healed him. In this case, the illness ran its course, and God, God healed him in a more standard way, I would say, over time. And so God heals him, he allows him to recover. Paul feels that it's important that, that Epaphroditus return home so the church in Philippi might rejoice over his recovery. Paul then, in verse 29 and 30, instructs the church in Philippi, sort of how to receive this guy. And in in this, we we get a little more insight into Epaphroditus. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. And it's honor such, it's honor such, the word men isn't even actually, so it's honor, if, if women apply, we can honor women too. Paul wants Epaphroditus and all who are like him to be received with joy and with honor. Because they're the ones on the front lines. They're the ones that are sent out. They're the ones who put their lives on the line. Epaphroditus, Paul's fellow soldier, nearly died for the work of Christ. 
The text doesn't say what caused Epaphroditus' near-death experience, but it, prob- it was probably the illness that he, that he suffered. But it seems that he, even when he was sick, continued to work alongside Paul. Epaphroditus valued what Paul was doing, proclaiming the gospel. He wanted to be involved. He valued it so much that verse 30 continues by saying that he was risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, what does that mean? Epaphroditus was willing to to risk his own life for Paul's work. That, That phrase, to complete what was lacking in your service to me, isn't Paul saying that the Philippian church wasn't doing enough. Epaphroditus is the only one doing the right thing. Because in other places in the letter, he commends them for doing more than than any other church. He's not chastising the church. He's honoring Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is, is the one they sent to be their representative. He's serving me, Paul says, in a way that the rest of you cannot because you're not physically present with me. I think there's an important application uh, for us at Bridges as well. When we, need, we need to honor those we send out as missionaries, our missionaries, those who, who go from us, those who give their lives full-time service for the work of Christ. When they're on the field, when they're on the field, and we're going to have an opportunity to do this uh, uh, in a special way over Christmas, so sock this away as an application. When they're on the field, we can honor them with letters and cards and gifts and prayers and financial support. And when they return home, we can honor them by, by meeting them and hearing about their ministry, inviting them into our homes, serving them in the way that they serve the gospel of Christ. Okay? Okay. That's the end of our passage for today. But I'm not done. Sorry. I should be. Time. But uh, we got one more thing. So what do you think about our examples? What do you think about Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? Good examples. Good men. Good examples to follow, right? And we need to imitate them. But I think there's a little bit of a problem. Anybody see the problem? Anybody care to venture? Well, no, that's, that's, that, that's, I don't know if that's a problem or not. But any, Anybody see a problem with them as examples? They're hard to follow, that's true. They're men. Well, like I said, you know, Paul gave Anna's a good example. We have women examples as well. They're men. Okay, they're men. Oh, I, I see. You're not, you're not asking for a woman. Okay, there you go. That's fair. Okay. Okay, let me, let me just tell you the problem I saw. Uh, what do great examples provide us with? Why, was my, da- why is my, was my dad a great example of how to work on a car? Because I could actually watch him work on a car. I could see him in action. I saw him change the oil, and I learned how to follow the steps myself. Now, in the same way, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus can be our great examples to the church, well, were in Philippi. The Philippians saw them in action, but not so for us. For us, they are great examples. We, yes, we can read about them, 
but we can't see them in action. And there's something about seeing someone in action. There's something about the inspiration of seeing someone doing something. So, so that means we not only need the examples found in Scripture, because uh, except for Jesus, who's still alive, the rest of them are dead, and hope some of them are in heaven. Great, but they can't be examples to us here on earth. So that means uh, uh, we need other examples of how to follow and obey the Lord, how to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We need current living examples. People we can learn from by observing, by seeing them in action. Like the three men we looked at today, we need example, we need to be examples to one another. And that's our fourth and final point, the, the example of one another. Now, I believe that, that, that those of us who are in leadership in, in the church, pastors and elders and staff members and small group leaders and ministry leaders, I believe our responsibility to be examples is uh, a little bit greater. The Apostle Peter instructs church leaders, uh, he says, not, do, do not be domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a charge for, for leaders to be an example. Leaders should be the first place we look for examples. But we all should be examples to one another. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. There's a progression here. Watch this. And you became imitators of us. That's the leaders. That's Paul and the church planners. And of the Lord. That's Jesus. You became examples. The church in Thessalonica. You became examples of... Uh, you became imitators of us. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You see the progression? The believers first followed the example of Paul and the Lord Jesus and, and others. And, and, then they, and because of that, they became examples to, to, to all the believers in their area. We must all seek to be examples to one another. In fact, as a pastor to this awesome group of people... I've many times found great encouragement from, from your example to me, examples of living for the gospel. So the final question I have for you is this. What do we need in order to be effective examples to one another? The first answer is obvious, I hope, but I'll state it. The first thing we need to do to be examples to one another for living for the gospel is that we need to live for the gospel. Amen? Otherwise, what's the point? Unless we're, doing, unless we're doing what we've just seen in the lives of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, then we can't be examples to one another. Why follow someone who's not doing what you're supposed to be doing? So first, to be an example, you must, you must be, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You must be willing to be poured out. You must be willing to stand firm and strive for the gospel. But that's not enough to be examples to one another, we must, check this, we must live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ together. Together. We're all isolated on our own. Nobody can be an example to anyone. We have to become part of one another's lives. We need genuine relationships with one another. That's one of the core values of our church we're striving for to have genuine relationships with one another. One of the things that stood out to me in our passage for today, didn't comment it on much, just a little bit, but I want us 
comment on it now, was relationships. Timothy and Paul had the relationship of father and son. Epaphroditus was, was Paul's brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. That, that word fellow means that we're together in this, we're united in this. And Paul and Timothy and especially Epaphroditus had a, a personal relationship with the people of Philippi. They knew one another. They cared for one another. Remember, they were worried because they heard he was sick. They were involved in one another's lives and therefore they could be examples to one another. And we need to follow their example. We need to live in a manner of worthy of the gospel of Christ together. So in conclusion, let me give you just two practical uh, applications. The elders and staff and others uh, at our church here, behind the scenes look here, this is the, what do you call that? The uh, featurette on the DVDs, give you the behind, behind the scenes look. Uh, we've been meeting and we've been talking, and a lot of what we talk about is how can we reach out to, the, I mean, we've been here over a year, how can we reach out to this community? How can we better live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ together here? And I would ask two things from you, from us all, two final applications, simple. First, pray. Pray. Pray for your leaders. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Pray that we will follow the Lord as He leads us in taking the gospel into our community. Pray for creativity. Pray for resources. And pray for vision. Pray that we'll be good examples of living for the gospel. And second, this is the harder one, well maybe, follow our example. As you see us reach out in different areas, and it's going to look different than it did for Paul and Philippi, because nobody's trying to throw us in jail yet. It's going to look like a trunk or treat, maybe. Woohoo! As, as you see us try to reach out to this community in a, in a way that's relevant to our culture, nothing more relevant. I think it's the third most, people spend the third most money on Halloween than any other holiday, Christmas, Valentine's Day than Halloween. I don't spend any money on Valentine's. Oh, we can't go there. Anyway, as you see us reach out, as we make plans, as Emily works really hard, as Ashley works really hard for this trunk or treat, for the holiday dinner that's coming, for other things, follow our examples. As we come to you with opportunities to serve, as we promote ways to take the gospel into our community, respond, join in. Become our fellow workers and soldiers. Become messengers and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we together might be examples one to another of those who live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Pray with me to that end. Lord God, we come to you and have no ability on our own to do any of this stuff. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus were great examples because they followed your example. Lord, help us to follow first the example of Jesus Christ who died that the gospel might go forth, that died to be the gospel for us. Lord, help us to follow after him and and help us to join together, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ together. Help us to pray for one another and help us to join together, to follow one another as we seek to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with us.